Welcome to a Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar. My name is Jamal and I am a Buddhist. I'm Jacob. I am a Christian. And I'm Rebecca. I'm still here and I'm still Christian. Rebecca, you are here for the 50th episode of this podcast. How do you feel? I didn't even know. I'm a no, little... No, we did, did we until I got the numbering. Yeah. yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, we, we've now hit 50. Thank you, everyone, for listening thus far. Um, hopefully, we'll be here for another 50 unless we get uh, lots Cancelled. of complaints. Yeah. Hey, Jamal, yep. do you have as many listeners as you have episodes? Oh, maybe just... Do you know what? I think we might have just, crossed that threshold at yeah, <laughs> some yeah. point we, in the last might, month. Well, I mean, if, if you can send this to all of your friends and then get some organic going, send it to Liz. I will be sending it to Liz on yeah, Instagram. Good. And Liz, I do uh, professly uh, apologise if I butchered your, the pronunciation of your last name. Yeah. So we're, we're going to continue a discussion that started around Liz Booker's um, Stealing My Religion. Um, and where we left off uh, last week, we were about to get into the, the question of agency. I, I, I guess because I think this whole thing started with you as somebody who's part of, you know, what is at least in Australia a dominant culture or religion, um, you know, taking legitimate kind of discomfort at, uh, at you know, something that was kind of, you know, was appropriative. I mean, where does that sit with your kind of experiences with in terms of your agency or in terms of the kind of how that interacts? I, I don't think it's bad to experience discomfort and to be able to tap into why and potentially what are the reasons behind this. I definitely have agency. The question that I keep coming back to in when we start really looking at shifting culture and cultural landscape in Australia as well is what do we do when the the okayness around punching up um, on you, you know your majority group so your white Christians if that's been accepted for so long and your levels of religiousness around your, uh, your your white Australians really starts becoming more secular and you have a growing cultural migration movement which brings a lot of people from a lot of different cultures with a lot of different religions coming in, a lot of those people being Christian as well. And suddenly this whole uh, paradigm of punching up Christianity is going to come up against this barrier of actually you're punching up a minority culture now as well well i think it's slightly different in that scenario just because i think it's not just about a population size i think you know dominance and privilege are about history and they're about kind of the 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 structures that that underpin society so even if and when christianity becomes a minority group right what's it 30 percent no religion now and about the same Christian-ish kind of close. Yeah, still, still more Christian. Yeah. I, I, look, I think for me, a lot of it really looks at religious literacy. If we don't want to engage and if we mm. only want to engage in the, you know, the cream of the cake, take mm. the things that we want nice, yeah. that but are nice off the top. Then So just to like drag yeah. us deeper into the rabbit hole, oh, no. right, is I think the, the cultural analysis here that is helpful is recognising, we've, we've talked about this on the podcast before, that Western, certainly Australian culture, the, dom- the dominant culture, I would say, is Christianity is not the dominant culture in our society. I would say the dominant culture in our society is post-Christian. Mm. And that brings with it an interesting thing to, with the punching, to go with that metaphor, right? Because for, for a culture to be post-Christian, it in some sense is 
defining itself over and against the Christianity that came before, right? Like, and and that's not that's not punching down at Christians. Like, and, and it and it is like it's recognizing the the depth of the Christian impact on the culture, but it's also no longer sees itself as a Christian culture. If I can, can I? Th- th- yeah. yeah, but I, but I think. I think the layer there, though, and I think that's true, but I think the layer there that you may be missing is this, like, is that the the structural systems of society are still Christian in sure. origin and, yeah, yeah. and and the systems of privilege are still Christian. So I, I don't know. Yeah, this, this is what I mean. Yeah, it's it's I, post-Christian. Yeah, it's, well, but yeah. also, like, I, I, I don't know this. I don't know what the actual real numbers are, but I'm going to hazard a guess that a larger percentage of the wealthiest 10% of Australians are Christian than the broad population. Sure. Right, like, or I'm going to guess that the larger percentage of those with political power, you know, more of those are Christian than would reflect the actual population, right? And I think when you have these political structures and these institutional structures and these wealth structures that are still so tied in with religion, let yeah, let let's not talk about colonialism. Let's not talk about you know the the, the invasion of the country, right? It's like all of these things just you know there there is privilege embedded in that religion even when it becomes a minority even when it loses its kind of status uh, even it loses its respect within society there's still a there's still a privilege there and like and again this as we've said before this intersects with culture a lot i have a lot less sympathy for white christians than sudanese christians in australia mm-hmm. right or, sure. or lebanese christians in australia right like i think there there are lots of intersections where this goes on where it's yeah it's just it's the kind of thing where it's like yes i take the point that you know societies change and 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 you know structures change but i i think we are very far away from australia ever even if christianity is only a 10 percent religion i think we are still so far away from it not being the privileged religion or the dominant structures or, or the 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 group that has the kind of the it is at the top of the food chain, so to speak. I, th- I think that's fair. I, I have a tangential thought, and that is looking at, again, that's fair, but where is the role of um, the sacred? Nope, go on. Thought train has left the station. I, 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 I think it's a, it's a really good point, though, right? Because I, and I think this comes back to, I think, and you made a point, uh, just before, which which I was I was actually going to do the opposite of pin you on and go, yeah, Jake Jake was found the Buddhist, uh, which is a very relativist point um, of the idea that I think the culture of the sacred is an important factor, right? So so mm. for me, I look at cultural and religious appropriation as problematic, not so much. I, th- I think I see it through this lens of power and this lens of you know uh, who's got what power and who's uh, who is oppressing who. And I thanks for helping me get to that with religious appropriation. But the other point of it that I see is that. I believe in all religions, right? So I believe that there is the sacred in everything. So when, yep. so yep. so even if it's not my religion, even if it's not something that I hold to be true, I think there is harm in appropriating something from a different religion because fundamentally, at least for me, I believe that that is a sacred thing for that religion, even if it doesn't align with my religion, right? And so, and so if 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 all those other relativists out there, um, you know. Like I, I, I think there's a there's a sense in which 
kind of relativism, I think, helps lend a kind of an understanding to where the harm is, right? Because you can frame the harm in, well, actually, all religions have a sacredness to it. So when you are borrowing this statue or using this iconography or whatever else, there is a sacred element to that that you're not recognising and actually taking it out of that context is desecration to a certain point, and that actually is a legitimate thing that's going on. And we took the long way around, but we got there. It's like, oh, why is this Why is this hurtful? Oh, because there's something sacred in it that is sacred to me. Oh, there it is. Yeah, well, and I think sacred to you and also even sacred, even if it's not sacred to you, it's still sacred, right? Absolutely. It's sacred to someone in some practice, in some way, in some form, and desecrating the sacred in that religious appropriation picture. Yeah. It's the big sad. Which goes beyond just making someone feel bad. It's actually a, a legitimate experiential, you know, kind of a, you know, almost, um, you know, existential kind of thing with that. We found the harm, everyone. Yay, found the harm. <laughs> and so that that's really interesting, though, that, that view of the sacred, right? So to bring in another thread from a different author, um, Tara Isabella Burton uh, wrote a book a couple of years ago called Strange Rights. Um I forget the subtitle, but it, it was basically around the way that millennials and Gen Zs in the the US particularly are kind of blending religions and, and spiritual but not religious kind of connections. And I think she's been cited by Liz Booker. Is that she what I'm saying? She certainly has. It, it's, an, it's an excellent book. But so one of the points that she makes is that the the mindset that she she identifies amongst millennials and Gen Zs around spirituality is one of consumption, um, and that things have value if I need to pay for them, and if something comes and I don't need to pay for it, like the teaching of Arjun Brahm, for instance, right? Like, well, it it can't be that valuable, right? Because it's it's free, hence this podcast, right? Um, and and so I wonder how that connect that that consumption aspect connecting in with the sacred right of well i'm going to pick and choose what i consume um to be sacred and how that contributes to the desecration um or or desacralization does it contribute to the desacralization i guess what i'm saying is is this all capitalism's fault right <laughs> and and is this an issue fault. of of yeah consuming religious goods rather than participating in a religion. Yeah. Can I jump in with this quote? Yeah, please. Um, I think it was more relevant 10 seconds before you stopped. That's okay. Um, so she, she talks, uh, Liz talks about, um, you know, we've talked about uh, the spiritual but not religious, the SBNRs. She also talks about the nuns. So who, who they're not. Yeah, that's Burton's category. Yeah, the yeah, nuns. the nuns. Yeah. So it's like. Uh, nuns' refusal to affiliate with organised religion does not mean this group is irreligious either. So Burton describes the nuns as religious mix and matches, the theologically bi and tri-curious who attend Shabbat services but also do yoga, who cleanse with sage but also sing Silent Night at Christmas time, mm. insisting that they have no religious affiliation while acting religiously, in quotes, bi and tri-curious, is a situation ripe for religious appropriation here. So I, I want to come back to this point and, and mm. remind me to, but it does remind me this time a Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar, <laughs> which is actually, it, it, it's early this week, I love this. Um, but so the Christian and the Buddhist walk into a bar and um, they you know, they have their old mate, guess who? 
Nasruddin. Nasruddin. That's right. Nasruddin's in the bar. Um, and, you know, they, they walk into the bar and they're having a drink and, and they, they get into another argument with Nasruddin. They, they, they're always getting into arguments with Nasruddin. And, like, and this one goes on for, like, half an hour and they're all, like, you know, Nasruddin's just being super, like, you know, just super kind of, you know, aggressive and whatever else about it all. And, and they're just, like, at the, end of, at the end of it, they kind of calm down and they go, Nasruddin... You always sit on the fence. Like, you always sit on the fence and you argue both sides anyway. Like, what are you doing, mate? And Ezra goes, oh, yeah, of course. I'm, I'm an antagonistic. Cool. So you said you had a point you were going to come back to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. You've got to love an Ezra joke. Um, no, uh, I, yes, I, I think I think your point is is really good, right? I, 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 I like this kind of, this framing of what's going on through this consumption lens because, you know, as we've spoken about before, liberal humanism, consumption capitalism maybe is the largest religion in the world these <laughs> days, right? Um, mm. And so the, the, this whole thing of like, yeah, like it's it's almost like we view religion as like, yeah, what can I get spiritually? And, mm. and, and you know, what practices do I have to do to get the rewards? It's almost like it's almost like a gamification sometimes of religion where it's like, yeah. like you know, I've got to do these particular things in these particular order, and then I'm going to get the payout, and then I'm going to get the enlightenment, the 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 Jesus, the the what the whatever, right? Well, and I don't know that you're even looking for the enlightenment and the Jesus, right? Like, because if if it is kind of a consumptionist view, it's well, then I'm going to be satisfied in some way, or I'm going to be happy, or I'm going to be fulfilled. Like, I I don't know that it's necessarily seeking the transcendent for the sake of the transcendent it's it's actually seeking self-actualization and finding the the sacred and religious tools with which to self-actualize which um you, you can educate us about buddhism jamal but like christianity like that that's just not a thing and as far as i understand it's a, the same in the abrahamic religions right like that that the the religion is not your tool to self-actualize it's actually discovering that it, it's god who actualizes you right well, and and maybe this is also a contributing factor to why you know as we observe buddhism is on the rapid rise in the west you know we've spoken about how buddhism kind of aligns with the individualistic mindset or the mm-hmm. liberal humanist mindset maybe a bit better than christianity and like you know, in Buddhism, there is a set of tools, right? Like there's the Eightfold Path. <laughs> there, there, there are all these, you know, there, there is a meditation practice. There are all these, there are tools you can use to self-actualize. Now, it, it's a lot harder and a lot more work and a lot more actually giving up all your material <laughs> desires than kind I of works against the consumption. Do it. But like, but like, at least on the surface, as somebody who wouldn't know much about Buddhism and who would just be trying to kind of religion shop to find something to make themselves feel happier in life, like, yeah, that that would align because oh hey, here is a religion where I can, you know, I can do the thing and I can I can I can sit and engage in the blah and you know oh look you know supposedly I'm going to get the happiness coming out mm. you know and and what happens when a religious practice doesn't make you feel good mm. like it's a cliche and I don't want to but like the the every kid gets a medal culture like get annoyed when people say that but i've just said it so there you go but like the the you know confession as a practice within christianity is just so out of vogue so far as i can tell like uh, amongst nominal 
Christians and even amongst a bunch of not nominal Christians, right? Like in, in any church that's trying to be relevant in air quotes, like confession is the first thing that gets thrown out or, or certainly was in the 90s, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it doesn't make us feel good, right? As much as it might actually be a you know helpful, good, fruitful practice. You've got a pensive face on, Rebecca. Uh, I don't know how pensive it is. I've just been reflecting on the phrase that I fall into a lot, which is like, oh, I love that for you, or you do yeah. you. Like, yeah. do you do you, boo. Like, you know, <laughs> I say these things all the time because I've just fallen into them. And and, and in a, yeah, and in a culture yeah. where God is love and God is loving and and it is kind of, I, I've spoken to a lot of people who really struggle with the idea that God could be pissed off with them about something, right? Like, and, and for, for me as a Christian, as much as I've kind of argued and will continue to argue for the nature of God being love, like on this podcast and elsewhere, right? Like, and that that's at the core of God's being. Like, there, there is stuff that we do that works against God's love. And like, of, of course, God is not happy about that. And but is it, that's is uncomfortable an, to hear, right? Is it antithetical to the character of God that God would be express anger, disappointment, you know, being pissed off with somebody who is abjectly not reflecting the character of God in their life? Well, and I think that ties into what you're saying before around like, but I think maybe one of the reasons that drops out is because that's not the thing that you want from religion. So in a consumptive, yeah. in a consumptive approach to religion, yeah. it's not giving you the reward. You know, you know, it, it's there's the, no dopamine here. There's no dopamine here. There's no reward you get for doing the right things. So and, my overuse metaphor, it's not the cream on the cake. Yeah, so yeah. it's not the cream on the cake. Yeah. Also, also, the rest, the rest the of the cake is really nice vegetable. too. You know, I, I hate it. <laughs> Carrot cake is the best kind of cake. I will maintain that. Um, we can fight about this later. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Just, as long as you give me carrot cake, we're fine. <laughs> um, but no, like I, it's... It's, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting, and and I think the I mean, short answer, yes. Short answer is capitalism's fault. Yes, capitalism ruins everything. <laughs> um, but, but also, I do think there is a thing to yeah. W- w- what is what is religion when you when it doesn't make you feel good? When it makes you feel um, when it makes you feel bad? When it makes you feel repentant? When it makes you mm. feel guilty? When it makes you feel whatever else? Yeah, you know, talk about Catholic guilt a lot, right? Like mm. there there is a function to these things too, right? Like, you know, that religions that serve to, you know, encourage reflection, to make you feel bad about things, you know, yeah, it's designed to stop you from doing those behaviours because the religion also believes that if you just stop those behaviours, you'll be more in line with God or whatever and you'll have a happier life and it makes more sense. I think uh, tangentially, uh, one of the things I've been looking at in my studies recently are some of the really difficult texts in the uh, Old Testament scripture or your um, your Hebrew Bible, um, your Christian Old Testament. Um, a lot of them are nasty. There's, so fire and brimstone, right? Yeah, there's fire and brimstone. Uh, there's violence. Uh, there's mm. a lot of sexual violence. There's not a lot of pleasant stuff. And you sit there and commentators also sit there and they say, this is here. We don't like it. We don't like talking about it. But it's here for a reason. Um, it actually keeping the difficult things, keeping the hard things, and having to deal with the difficult and unpleasant things is intrinsically part of religion. We can't sweep 
difficult things and the things we don't like under the carpet. It's trying to tell us something. It's trying to teach us a lesson. It's trying to teach us something about who we are supposed to be as children of God. Which is like the opens up for me the the thought of all like what does religious practice, spirituality, faith like what does faith have to say to to help us understand something like the war in Ukraine or the famine in Somalia or that like you know the fact that there is bad terrible things happening in the world um and like one of the the roles if you want to think about spirituality purely functionally which if, if you want to look at it that way one of the things it does is actually help us to wrestle with and see um not necessarily make meaning out of those things but actually you know process the evil and the bad that is in the world and work out a place for that uh, and and so to come back to the consumption thing um one of the things that critics of the political scientist francis fukuyama jamal's favorite political scientist oh it's, it's love love fukuyama he doesn't like almost fukuyama more than people. i love jordan peterson yeah yeah, yeah. um <laughs> that's that's harsh on francis man but but he made this argument in the 90s right that we were at the end of history and he's drawing on some hegelian ideas and whatever um but that people would just be sort of happy consumers ever after that was his his vision of the world in the early 90s as the soviet union was collapsing he, he and everything contributed else, to right? that documentary wall e right <laughs> um but so but the but kind of history hasn't ended right and you've got this bunch of consumers in the liberal west broadly speaking who are like, yeah, everyone's going to be democratic and happy and we can just buy our stuff and isn't this all going to be awesome? And now, in the last five years or so, we've got a war in the east of um, Europe. We've had Trumpianism and everything that that, you know, coming hot on the heels of Obama, which was like the most hopeful look, the, the arc of history is going to be brilliant. And then you, you have Trump come immediately after this. You have revisionist powers around the world. You have China becoming more aggressive around Taiwan and all of this kind of stuff. And our generation, speaking as a millennial, like weren't really ready for that, right? Like there's a, aspects of 9-11 and other things in there. Sorry, I'm getting terribly political and global history of the last 20 years stuff, right? But everything was supposed to be happy and fun and nice and how do we process the fact that it's not and if we're just consuming our sacred things because well this is the thing that's going to make me feel good and kind of i'm going to find fulfillment in or whatever uh, maybe some of the harm that that's doing to to us as appropriators then is it's actually drawing us further from having a worldview that can accommodate all of the evil in the world. One thing that I reflect on a little bit is um, the price of justice. And when we when we look at recent conflicts and the the outrage and all the and the and all the decisions that we've I guess all been behind in terms of um, supporting um, supporting the Ukraine, uh, and then we turn around and suddenly there's 
expense of fuel and the cost of living crisis and this is an injustice this needs to be stopped and it is difficult it is really hard it is mm. I want to give voice to that and want to acknowledge that but it is also a consequence of the just mm. of advocating for things that are just that are righteous and when we don't when we don't have tools to grapple with the rest of the cake on top of the nice creamy justice on top really flogging this metaphor then we we start to crumble like the cake i so, <laughs> i i think it's interesting right so like that that might be the best explanation i've had i've heard thank you I, I haven't finished yet. Oh no. The best explanation I've heard for the boomer mentality. Right? The whole like, what? oh yeah, things were so much harder back in my day and you kids have got it so easy kind of thing, which, you know, I, I, I don't actually buy into. But I think there's a legitimacy to it on that grounds, right? On the idea that those who grew up uh, during the World Wars or just after the World Wars had essentially to pay the price of what they saw as of justice, particularly the Second World War, right? Yeah, the First World War was a... Was a yeah, so the problem same. with this metaphor is that the generation you're describing is not actually the boomers. Okay. It's the generation before the boomers, right? The boomers were born in the 60s. Right, okay. So so, so I think I'm just referring maybe generally to the back-in-my-day kind, of, sure. kind of mentality, right? Um, and I guess my point being is I think there is there is some legitimacy to the idea that, you know our generation, I think to your point, Jacob, has not had to ever pay the price of of what that is, right? And so there is a sense in which, you know, I, I, I own that millennials are probably a little bit spoiled, a little bit kind of expecting the world to be just perfect and nice and cheery and have never had to struggle in the way to uh, to kind of to, to do what it takes to have a just and peaceful world. Um I think probably that where that falls down a little bit for me is that there's this like, is what you were saying too about the the appropriators. Like there, there is a different cost, right? And it's not the same cost. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to make a claim that like that millennials somehow have struggled for justice in some kind of way. We're still talking about appropriation. I got, I yeah. got lost. Oh no, the, the, oh. this will all loop back. Oh, okay, it, it, well, okay. It, it, okay. It, it always does. And and if not, um, if not, then Nazarudin saves us. Um, <laughs> but um. But yes, like it, the the millennials, uh, it, 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 there's a different cost that we have to deal with, right? Like, and, and and maybe it is, it is the cost of not having as clear a sense of what is just or what what the kind of the the mm. shared value we're working towards is, or maybe it is the cost of existing in a world where structures have been so successful that they be, are beginning to collapse. You know, mm. I, I I think you know, I you know, and, the, and a world of contested meaning. Yeah, yeah, and, and well, and I think to loop this back to cultural appropriation, I, I, I think that to try and tie it all together, maybe. But part of the part of what you're talking about, Jacob, with the harm to those who are doing the appropriating it, and part of the kind of the the the, the conundrum that people, because I think it is mostly millennials and mostly you know younger-ish generations that are doing that appropriation. I think part of all of that is just this sense of being lost, right? Just this sense of not. How, you know, living in a world where unmoored from the structures yeah. that that brought us here are now have gone too far and are now collapsing and you know we can talk about late stage capitalism later but like you know all the you know that things are falling apart and trying to seek out you know 
you know, seek out things in the only way we know how, which is consumption, right? We, we, we've never we've never existed in a world that isn't consumptive. And so, you know, trying to go to spirituality and try and doing a grab bag of things to try and make some sense and meaning of it, but also recognizing the structures collapsed. I, I get why no one wants to be a Catholic in Australia right mm. now. Like there, there, there's, I, I, I'm down with everyone going, oh, no, I don't want to do that. But like, but then yeah, where do you go instead if your whole history is Catholic and you know, all these different things? And so like, it's, it's tricky. And I, I feel sad and a little bit kind of empathetic for the people who are culturally appropriating, even though, as we've established in other episodes, they are doing a harm to others by doing it, is they are also very much doing a harm to themselves. And they mm. are very much also, I think, compounding the harms that they're already feeling in the world by trying to use those solutions to resolve their own inter- internal t- turmoil. Kind of to, to use the Christian language about it, they're, they're trapped in a fallen, failing world. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's... And, and, that must really suck and that must really be hard and you know what like and again maybe this is as a buddhist where less things are sacred right that the harms to me are lesser but i also look at that and go you know what if you want to do some yoga if you want to you know if you want to get a cross tattoo on your back even though you've never been to a church in your life if you want to you know Mm. do whatever as long as you're not hurting anyone too bad like which to yeah, bring okay. us full circle to Liz Booker's book where we started kind of part one mm. of these conversations and the um, El Camino de Rey. Camino or, de Santiago? Yeah, that's the one. El Camino de Santiago, that one. Um, but that the, the Catholic Church kind of being permissive around, well, who can do this and who can get the certificate for having done it and whatever. Um, because I, I suspect that there's a place for kind of organised, established religions of, of all types here to go, hey, you know what, walking the Camino, maybe for you that is your gateway back into kind of some form of thicker meaning or you know, actually knowing God for the first time or rediscovering your relationship with God or something like that. So potentially in that situation that you're describing Jamal of um, people who are like I just I don't even know what to believe anymore and and all of that stuff maybe there can be benefits around appropriation and borrowing insofar as it opens up the potential to to lead you in back back into something bigger than yourself and not to gang up on jamal but as the other uh, christian, i thought i was agreeing christian with jamal the, but, oh you okay know. well maybe i am well. <laughs> for me for me when i've been reflecting a bit on you know espionanis as well and you know all the the tragedies and woes of being in a, in a church that is um slowly decaying as well um when i see the searching the wanting in communities and people who are spiritual but not religious that's where i see hope because i see a fire that's burning and that's learning and trying to grow and making its way one way or another to to the cake well yeah and i think i don't think any, at the cake <laughs> I, we, we, we've got to go for cake after this I, I i don't think anybody it's interesting right there's a distinction here where i don't think any religious person would have an issue with someone of a different religion or a different culture converting, right? And I think that there is is not quite a fine line, but there is a, a visible line 
between appropriation and conversion, right? And it's like, depending on which side of that line you're on, I think people are more or less mm. comfortable with it, right? So like, yep. you can appropriate excessively, but if you don't convert, then it's like, oh, what are you doing? But if you convert, then it's like, oh, t- totally, do whatever you want, right? Like, you know. And, and I'm tempted to say, like, you can appropriate without being open to converting, but the very act of appropriating, even if you have no intent of converting, might be what actually opens you up to converting. Like, it's a, where do you draw the line? And it's how much can you borrow from religion thinking you won't be meddling in the religion and it might stick on your fingers like well, well, and or I, affected by it in some way, yeah. yeah. And I think too, I think it, it it's different. I think there is a different approach to if you are appropriating with a real sense of exploration. And I, and I think Liz Booker talks about this, right, with a real sense of you know, exploration and you know even openness to conversion versus if you're just borrowing right so i i I remember um i was in malaysia at the start of the year and there was a there was uh you know i went to one of the mosques in kale um i'd never been to that mosque and mosques are actually generally very good at just letting people in especially men um that you know you're kind of welcome to just come in and chat to people like i've never been turned away from a mosque i've never had a oh you shouldn't be here or you've seen any kind of signage of any of that that everyone's lovely the you know person they gave me a quran um and like and well, and that, that person I oh yeah I was sitting in the mosque uh, and you know it was approaching prayer time and I was just sitting at the back and kind of just trying to blend in and you know I was appropriately dressed and everything and he comes up to me and he goes yeah you, know, you know starts talking to me and you know he quickly establishes I'm not from Malaysia so he's like where are you from we're talking and you know he does a little bit of trying to convert me you know kind of like oh you you should read the Quran and you should know these things I'm like okay, cool um, and. And then at one point, anyway, I tell him, like, well, yeah, I'm a Buddhist, actually, and, you know, like, you know, I'm interested and I'm, like, I'm open to hearing what, you, what you're what you having to say and I'm respecting you because we're here, but also I'm like, yeah, I'm a Buddhist. And then the prayer time's about to start and he says, no, come on, come up with me and, and do the prayer, you know. And so I, I get up and I and I do the, the, Muslim, the, the Muslim prayer in line with all the other men and that's the first time I've done that. And, like, you know, if I was just a tourist and just walking in and going, oh, let me come to this mosque and let me do a Muslim prayer with the, the other Muslims here and let me just, like, take mm. a photo of me. And, like, I've seen tourists do that. We're, like, walking into an area and oh, s- sitting I've, on I've, the imam's chair and taking a photo on the imam's chair and stuff. I've been at um, Westminster in uh, Westminster Cathedral in Evensong with mm. people who are clearly just there because you can get in for free at Evensong mm. and trying to surreptitiously take all the pictures and do yeah. the stuff, right, rather than participating in what the actual... Yeah, yeah. and I think there is a difference between engaging with that, you know, and even though I wasn't really open to conversion, I was pretty clear I wasn't open to conversion, there was a way at which it was like I'm open to what this is and I'm open to the spirituality of it. And you were invited by an insider. Yes, which also is a critical bit. Invited by an insider and investing in relationship, even if that relationship was fleeting and finite Mm. as well. But I would argue that I reckon even if he hadn't invited me, if I had stood up and just joined the prayer quietly and done it with a, I recognise this as a spiritual practice, I'm just going to take part in it, even if I don't believe in what the bowing and kneeling does, I, I I think that still probably wouldn't have been super appropriative. I see where you're coming from there, and I do agree. Um... I've lost the word for it at the moment, but having the the ability to see, acknowledge and respect that this, there is, again, acknowledging, respecting the sacred um, and moving with it, being with it and then leaving it, well, yeah, fine. Yeah. So may- maybe that's where we've landed, where we, we have uh, identified the harm, we have uh, we have worked out why the world is is terrible and uh, our great grandparents were right, um, and you know I think yeah we've 
I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like we've landed on an interesting way of like the ways in which you can appropriate in a in a respectful and positive way. Yeah, it's been a good chat. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you to Kevin McLeod, the sacred Kevin McLeod, whose th- music we appropriate each week with his permission. Yeah, and um, and did you know Kevin McLeod um, actually was once in his previous incarnation a sacred cow? He wasn't. And you can send your Kevin McLeod conspiracy theories to Christian Bar at gmail.com. See you next week. Tell a friend. Bye.